If your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. We finished our lesson series on Gideon. And, uh, and I was, uh, was looking over what, what direction to go. And I thought, and I looked at my calendar and I realized I have two Sundays. And then we start missions month and we're off. Uh, I'm off. And so we'll be missions uh, for, for a month. And, uh, and I thought, well, I don't want to start another series and then have that, all that time in between. So I'm going to do just a, a short series uh, of two lessons on the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit is a very important, uh, important thing in Christianity, not thing, person. Let me say it that way. I don't want to be uh, misspeak or anything like that. Uh, but he is, is an important doctrine and teaching on the Holy Spirit. There's various opinions out there about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, and how he is described. And I want us to set all of our opinions aside and see what the Bible says. Uh, because really, that is the most important thing. And, uh, and, and really, you look at Scripture and, and the Holy Spirit uh, is, is named throughout the Scripture over and over and over. And, uh, and so I want us to look at that and take the foundational truths from the Word of God and, and see what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Uh, look with me in John chapter number 14 and look with me in verse number 16. The Bible says this, this is Jesus talking, and he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for your many blessings. Thank you for your word that we can look into, that we can learn from. God, I pray that you would just use me this morning. God, I pray as we uh, look at the Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts and understanding of the word of God. And God, I pray that you would just uh, help us to have a, a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and, uh, and the work that he does. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God, perhaps we just need reminded uh, of the Holy Spirit and his work and his influence in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would just again use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. And Father, we'll thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We need to find in Scripture the introduction uh, to the, who the Comforter is and the Spirit of Truth, uh, which is clearly promised. And so as we look at this, I want us to really, I entitled it, The Intro or Introduction to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I want us to look at this and, and see who He is. Uh, because he is, plays a very important role in our lives as Christians and as believers, those who are saved and born again. And, uh, and he certainly is somebody. Uh, notice with me in verse number 17, the Bible says this, um, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Uh, he is a person. Uh, he's referred to as a person in the Bible very clearly. There's many verses throughout the entire Bible uh, that claim that the Holy Spirit is a person. 
Why is that so important? Because there are religions out there that do not accept or teach that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, and they, they believe he's a force, they believe he's a power, they believe a lot of weird things uh, that they believe. But the Bible teaches us very clearly and very plainly that he is a person. Notice with me in verse number 26 of John chapter 14. We're going to be flipping through the Bible and finding several passages. But look with me in verse number 26. The Bible says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Notice the, the pronoun there. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And, uh, and the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit over and over again as a person. Uh, look with me in John chapter 16. Just turn forward a couple of pages. And I want you to see this because these verses are really clear and, and, uh, and it is repetitive uh, so much so that I figure it, it was good to, to take us here and look at it. John chapter 16, just a few pages forward and look with me in verse number 7. The Bible says, this is again Jesus speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Notice in verse number 8, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jump down with me to verse number 13. The Bible says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And there's a lot of truth giving, given in that verse right there, but I want us to see the idea that uh, he is referred to over and over in verses 7 and 8 as a person, him and he. And then in verse 13, uh, it's there nine times. Uh, I went through and counted the he's, the him's, and himself uh, that he's referred to in verse number 13. And, and you say, well, one verse may have just been an illustration or just a, the idea that's presented. You know, sometimes we use the words like and as to illustrate. But in, verses, in these passages, it becomes very clear. It's not just an illustration. It is a reference that the Holy Spirit of God is indeed a person and he is somebody. Uh, we live in a day and age when, um, when uh, all, everyone gets to choose their own pronouns. And, uh, and, and what, a, what a bunch of baloney that is. I'll just say it that way. Uh, and we'll leave it there. But, but listen, uh, the Holy Spirit of God is somebody. He's not just a force. Uh, many people teach that. Uh, they, they define the Spirit as simply a force or a power. And many of those who believe that, they deny the Trinity of God. What is the Trinity of God? Uh, go with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. This is probably the most clearest verse in the Bible that, that, uh, that very clearly states the Trinity of God. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 7. 
By the way, many, many Bibles, let me just say this as well, many, many Bibles, modern Bibles, uh, change this verse. Uh, and why is that? Because it is very clear about the Trinity. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm talking the ESV, many of the more contemporary Bibles, uh, they do not word this the exact same as it's written here. First John chapter 5 and verse number 7, look with me. The Bible says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Notice that last phrase, and these three are one. Notice that uh, the Bible is very clear that that is uh, the Trinity. Uh, and not only is the Holy Spirit somebody, but He's also sovereign. He is God. Uh, there's no doubt about it. This Bible tells us that very clearly. Uh, those who reject Bible Trinity, uh, the, the Unitarians, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and I read another Oneness Pentecostals. I'm not familiar with that group, uh, but they also deny the, uh, the Trinity. They take the verse uh, where it says there is one God, uh, and they say, see, there's only one God, and therefore uh, it's not possible that there's there's... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Consequently, because of that, they also deny that Jesus Christ is God. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but, but I run into some very serious problems with that because if Jesus Christ is only a man, then he has a sin nature. And if he has a sin nature, then he is not a perfect sacrifice, and thus our salvation is not complete. You see the problem. Uh, it all ties together, uh, and Jesus Christ is God. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that he is God in the flesh, and that does have to do with our salvation. And so we look at all of these, and we look at this verse where the Bible tells us very clearly, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, that would be God the Father, the Word, that would be Jesus Christ. You go back to John chapter 1, and you can read that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you go down and you read down through there, and in verse number 14, it tells us that he he became flesh and dwelt among us. That is Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's the word, Jesus Christ. But then in the latter part there, it says, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And, uh, and like I said, there's many that will deny those things, uh, but it's very clear that all three of them are one. I've got uh, just a couple of proofs. Number one, I mentioned this it was last week sometime. I don't remember when I mentioned it. But, uh, but I, I mentioned that there's three verses in the Bible that tell uh, who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, and so let's look at those really quick and, uh, and look with me in Acts chapter number 2. And I said we're going to flip on our Bibles a little bit and we're going to read some verses. And, uh, but I, I believe it's important to see these things. Acts chapter number 2, I don't want you just to take my word for it. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 32. And here in Acts chapter 2, the, the Apostle Peter is preaching an extensive message. And in the end, towards the end of his message here, in verse number 32, he says these words. He says, this Jesus, Acts 2.32, this Jesus hath God raised up, 
whereof we all are witnesses. And so the Apostle Paul, in preaching his message, 100% on, uh, says that, hey, God raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, look with me in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, which consequently was also written by Peter, uh, we find this. He says this, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. For Christ, 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, what does that word quickened mean? The word quickened means to be made alive. And you'll notice uh, the Bible says there in, in verse number 18, at the latter part of that verse, uh, but quickened, that would be to be made alive by the Spirit. And so that verse attributes that, hey, the Holy Spirit resurrected God from the dead, resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. And so uh, we have the same person, that's Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, preaching a message and saying, God hath raised Jesus from the dead. We have 1 Peter 3, 18, that is very clearly telling us that the Spirit quickened Jesus Christ and raised him from the dead. He's very clearly talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, is another verse, you can note this down, we won't go there uh, for sake of time, but Romans 8 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, that's Romans 8, 11. Um, and then Jesus himself said that he would raise himself. Go with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse number 17. The Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse number 17, the Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. And Jesus proclaimed that he would raise himself. Uh, I believe there's another passage, I think it's in John chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken, where Jesus also uh, said, hey, that, that I will lay my life down and I will take it again. Uh, and so uh, several times Jesus proclaimed, he said, hey, I'm going to lay my life down and I'm going to take it again. The Spirit is attributed with raising Jesus Christ from the dead. God is attributed with raising uh, Jesus from the dead. How do, we, how do we take all of these verses and, and make some sense of them? Well, there's only one good answer, and that is they are all God. Uh, that's the only explanation that you can come up with. Uh, I, have, I have two brothers, and, uh, and, and if, if one claims to do something, then I don't make that claim um, because that, my brother did it. We're, we're distinct. Well, we have the same parents. We have same genetic uh, genetics that, that, are, that are there. Well, that's true. But we don't stake claims on each other's things that we accomplish. 
uh, because I was a missionary. Uh, my, my little brother doesn't say, well, then I lived in, in Peru for, for 10 years or 15 or 20 years or whatever it was. Uh, he can't say that. Why? Because he didn't live there. My older brother served in the army. I can't say, well, I served in the army. That's not me. That's not my claim. That's not who I am. That's not what I've done. But yet Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit can all claim to do the same thing. Why? Because they are one. And we have a hard time understanding that, and, and rightfully so. We have finite minds, and God is infinite. Um, the, the best illustration that I've ever heard uh, to try and define and explain the Trinity, and, and it also breaks down, and I'll tell you where it breaks down, but uh, is that of water, H2O. Uh, it is the same molecular structure uh, no matter how you slice it. And so water can be in three forms. You can, you can boil water and you have what? You have steam. Uh, you can have a pot of water and it's water. It's H2O. That steam is H2O. You can freeze water and it is H2O. And so you have three different forms. It's the same molecular makeup, uh, but it is distinct in all of its forms because one is hard. If I throw an ice cube at you, you know what? It's going to hurt, especially if it's big enough and I throw it hard enough. Uh, but I can throw steam at you all day and it ain't even going to hit you because it just doesn't go. It's just going to go up, uh, besides the fact that it will burn me. Um, and I can throw water at you, and that's really not going to hurt because uh, it's liquid. Uh, and so there are three distinct forms, but yet they are the same thing. And where it breaks down is they cannot all three be the same thing at the same time. And so that's where it breaks down, uh, where, where God uh, literally can be all three things at the same time, and he is. And, uh, and so just one of those proofs that the Holy Spirit is sovereign is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I got a second proof that I want us to look at uh, showing that he is sovereign, uh, and that is because he's involved in creation. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It should be the easiest book to find, and I have all these things in front of my Bible that make it like 10 pages in. All right, I got it. Genesis chapter 1. And uh, look with me in verse number 1. Verse number 1 becomes very clear. I love this verse. Uh, the Bible says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Uh, I heard a message one time, and a, the preacher said this. He said, he said In the beginning, God. Uh, he doesn't make any uh, claim, or he doesn't make any, he doesn't waste any time to try and prove his existence. It is simply stated in the beginning, God, uh, and He is. He does exist. And we don't have to argue that. We don't have to defend that because the Bible just simply and clearly states it in the very beginning that God is. There is no question about that. Uh, he is who he is and he has been from the very beginning. Notice with me the second verse. Um, in the beginning, we'll read the first verse again. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Notice in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep notice the second verse there in the middle and the spirit of God 
moved upon the face of the waters. You know more than getting two verses into the Bible and you're introduced to the fact that God exists and you're introduced to the fact that God has a spirit that moved on the face of those waters. And so therefore you have two of the Trinity that are clearly defined in the very first two verses of the book of Genesis. And as you go down through there, notice with me uh, in verse number 26, and I want to point this out to you, uh, verse number 26, in the creation, the Bible says this, and God said, let us make man in our image. Now that little word us is plural. And, uh, and understand, who's, got, who's that talking about? Um, I pointed that out to somebody uh, one time. I think it was it might have been a Jehovah's Witness. I said, look, I said, it says right here, let us. Who's that talking about? And he said, well, it's the angels. Uh, the Bible never attributes the angels to work in creation. Not once. Uh, you go back and you read the entire Bible through and you look for it. You will not find anywhere in the Bible that angels are attributed to working in creation. But you go back in the Bible and you know what you do find? You do find that Jesus Christ was attributed to working in creation. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16 talks about, or excuse me, Colossians 1 and verse number 16. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 that we talked about uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, and it goes on in, in the next verse, all three, uh, maybe it's verse 3, all things were created by him. Um, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so we know that Jesus Christ was involved in creation. We know that the Spirit of God, in verse number 2 of Genesis 1, attributes the Holy Spirit to being there and moving on the face of the waters. And so therefore, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all were actively working in creation. And if you realize that, that means the Holy Spirit is sovereign. That means that Jesus Christ himself is sovereign. That means that God himself is sovereign. And we find that, uh, that, that that is true, that they were busy and that they were active in the time of creation. And, uh, and so we, we understand that. We realize that. Uh, that listen, uh, the Holy Spirit is somebody. He is a person. He's not merely a force. He's not merely uh, some, uh, some power or some mystic thing that exists in the Bible. No, He is a literal person, and He is part of the Godhead, the Trinity. Uh, and we see that very clearly. And then I want you to notice as well, not only is he somebody, not only is he sovereign, but I want you to notice that he is spirit. Uh, the Bible, uh, 90, more than 90 times in the New Testament, uses the words Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. And I just didn't even bother looking up the time spirit is used with a capital letter. Um, I'm sure there would be even more uh, of those. But over 90 times in the New Testament, uh, the word Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is used in the New Testament. And if you think about that, that's significant. There is a lot stated about the Holy Spirit. There is a lot mentioned about His work and what He does. And, uh, and go back with me to John, where we were, 14, uh, verse number 16. 
where we started, where we jumped into this. John chapter 14 and verse number 16. And notice with me in this passage, Jesus is talking and he's told his disciples, hey, I'm going to go away. Uh, he, he let them know, I'm going to die. Uh, I'm going to be raised again. And then I'm leaving and I'm out of here. Uh, but he tells them this in verse number 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may, notice this, abide with you forever. Boy, praise the Lord for that promise. Do you understand what that means? That the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us and he will not, as the Bible says in Hebrews, he will not leave us nor forsake us. How is it that Jesus Christ can make that claim? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He does that through the, through the dwelling and work of the Holy Spirit that he promised would be with us forever. Uh, and so that is a very clear uh, promise that is made by the Lord Jesus Christ when he says that. Uh, notice there in, in verse number 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I think about the idea of the spirit. And, and he has to be a spirit to go within us. Uh, Jesus Christ, as uh, God in the flesh, uh, he, he did not go inside of people, if I can say it that way. Uh, he, he was flesh. Uh, the Bible says that he dwelt among us. The disciples say, hey, we saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. We heard him speak with our own ears. And, and, and they say, hey, he, was, uh, he dwelt among us. He was still God, robed in the flesh. Uh, but listen, the Holy Spirit is a spirit, and he's able to dwell within us. That's how Jesus Christ gives us this promise. He's able to come into us, and the fact that it says, hey, he will stay. Stay with us. What a blessing that is. You think about it, um, it, it almost makes it um, kind of funny. It is kind of funny if it wasn't sad, but, but so many people think, well, have you got the Spirit uh, or have you lost the Spirit? Uh, listen, the Bible says very clearly that the Spirit of God stays with us forever. And, and the world cannot receive them. I guess you could mark that up to another, uh, another check mark on the eternal security. Uh, once you are saved, you cannot become unsaved because the Spirit of God dwells with you forever, the Bible says. And He will stay with us, the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18, you can just note this down. Uh, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We're not going to get into all the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, we'll save that for next week. But understand this, that, uh, that being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we have more of the Holy Spirit that comes into us, but rather the Holy Spirit has more of us. And we allow Him the control of our, ourselves. Uh, isn't it interesting, the illustration that's used there in, in Ephesians 5.18, it says, Be not drunk with wine. Um, 
we were in Peru, and one of the things I, I guess I just didn't realize, uh, when we were in Peru, it was not uncommon to see drunk people. I mean, it, it was... It was a regular occurrence, at least weekly, that you would just see people stumbling. It was really sad, to be honest with you. You see people just uh, laying in a ditch or stumbling down the road or, or something of that nature. And, and, uh, and, and when I came back, I, I didn't know this because I, I guess I was just kind of ignorant. But, uh, but it's, I guess it's illegal in America to be drunk in public and be out in public and be drunk. I, I didn't realize that. Uh, I have not, not, no experience with any of that. Uh, but, uh, but Peru, that was not the case. And you would see drunk people. And so if you've never seen somebody that was drunk or uh, that, that, that maybe was controlled today would be more common with drugs or something of that nature, they don't have good control of their faculties. Um, their reactions are slow. Uh, everything about what they do, why is that? It's because that alcohol gets in them and it, and it causes their body to not react uh, or drugs, drugs do much of the same thing. They'll, they'll either go uh, make you hyped up or make you lower, uh, but, but you don't react the same. Why is that? It is the effect of that drug on the body. And that's the illustration that the Bible gives in Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, where is it, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And listen, the Spirit of God ought to cause you to do things that maybe you wouldn't naturally, normally do. I have to clarify, I'm not talking about crazy stuff. There are some crazy, there's some crazy people out there. And, and, and they think that falling on the ground and shaking and rolling uh, is, a, is a sign of a filling of the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about at all. When I say that the Holy Spirit will cause you to do things, you know what it will do? He'll cause you to witness to people. He'll cause you to be concerned for people. He'll cause you to want to live right. He'll cause you to want to get sin out of your life. That is, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. And verse number 22, matter of fact, it falls, Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. Galatians 5 and verse number 22. Go back with me to verse number 18. Well, let's hit verse 16, then we'll jump to 18, then we'll work from there. But look with me in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16. The apostle says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 17, he goes down and he gives a whole list. Uh, he starts a list of things that our flesh desires to do. But he's telling us, hey, don't walk in the flesh. Don't do the things that your flesh desires to do, but do the things that the Spirit would have you to do. Verse 18, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Notice with me, go down, and then he, he gives that list there. But notice with me in verse number 22, he says, in contrast to all the works of the flesh, which are listed there, he says, in contrast to all of that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You know what the Spirit of God is going to cause you to do? He's going to cause you to have compassion and love towards people that you may not normally have love to. 
You're going to look at lost people and say, you know what, I care about that person. You don't even know that person. Yeah, but they need the gospel. And I'm concerned for them. Um, not only love, but notice this. He says joy. Uh, listen, Christians ought to be joyful people. Does that mean we're, we're always just running around singing and smiling and, and all of that? No, not necessarily, but I tell you what, uh, that old song that I learned in Sunday school, uh, um, the joy of the Lord is my strength, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then we go on. Why? Because God, through the Spirit, gives us joy in our life. You realize... I read it this week. I, I, um, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they were in jail at midnight. And you know what those crazy guys were doing? They were praying and singing at midnight. Now, who on earth goes to prison and sings? Only a Christian. They're going to sing about the joy of the Lord. Because, listen... Our worst day here on earth is the worst it's going to get. That's it. We're going to heaven when we die. And, and I mean, really, uh, that is as bad as it will ever get for saved people. And so the joy of the Lord, the Spirit, gives us that joy. Uh, not only the joy, but the peace. We're going to talk about that next week. We'll look at it. But I'm just saying, hey, that that peace is there, the peace of God that passeth all understanding, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. You know what? That is the the outworking of the Holy Spirit that is within that causes us to have those things because the Bible says the fruit. Uh, I was looking up trees because I, I find it interesting and, uh, and, and the Bible gives us the illustration of fruit. Um, you know where that fruit comes from? Uh, it comes from that tree, of course, but you know where it gets its nutrients? All the way from the ground. And how does it get the, the, well, it's got roots down there and water gets into those roots and that water uh, moves all the way up through that tree, all the way up to the branches, out the branches, all the way to the end where that fruit finally gets it and receives all of that. Uh, you think about that, that's pretty amazing because a tree doesn't have a heart and, uh, and yet it still produces all of that. Uh, and you look at all of that and how it moves uh, through the sap, and, and it's just saying that, hey, the Holy Spirit is the one that produces the fruit in our lives by moving the truths from the Word of God in and through our whole life until it produces these things that's listed here. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, uh, gentleness, meekness, all of these things that are listed here. Uh, and it, and it, it is the uh, moving and working of the Holy Spirit. And so he dwells within us, and it's only for the saved. And so uh, the three things that we can learn about the Holy Spirit, he is a somebody, he is a person. Uh, he, he's not a power, he is a person. He is sovereign, he is God. Uh, and then thirdly, he is a spirit, uh, and he works and dwells within our lives. And so that's just an introduction to the Holy Spirit and who he is. And uh, next week we'll look at uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. I can assure you of this, that there's no way on earth we'll cover all the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is just too extensive. But we'll look at, at what the Holy Spirit does and how he works 
in our life. But listen, as a Christian, as a believer, the Bible says, hey, that we have the Holy Spirit. It said very clearly in, in John 14, I think it was verse 17, that the world, those that are lost, cannot receive the Holy Spirit. He does not live within the lost people. He does not dwell within them. And so they don't have this fruit, and they don't have the peace, and they don't have the joy, and they don't have those things. Uh, why? Because those are produced by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And listen, that is promised to the believer. Maybe you're here, and maybe you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, what's bad about that? Uh, man, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, getting love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, uh, all of those things that go with the fruit of the Spirit, that is a blessing to the believer. That is something that we ought to thank God for and, uh, and, and recognize in our life. And I just think, man, if you're lost and you don't know the Lord, why would you not? Why would you turn that down uh, to be able to receive those things from God? What a blessing uh, to know the Lord as your own personal Savior. And uh, you can receive Him today uh, by just simply putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet and we'll have our heads bowed and our eyes closed and we'll have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. And God giving us the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. What a blessing as a saved person to know that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And God, that He'll not leave us, but He'll abide with us. God, through some of the worst storms, some through some of the hardest times, God, as a Christian, as a believer, we can know that You are always there. And You're always there as a, in the role of a comforter, as the Bible says. Father, what a comfort to know that. What a privilege to know that. What a blessing to be saved and know, God, that no matter where we are, you are there with us. I pray, Father, that you would comfort each and every believer this morning with your presence. And God, help them to know and realize and understand that you are there and that, God, you'll never leave us and never forsake us but that you'll always be with us. And Father, we'll thank you for that. What a blessing to know that. I pray, God, that you'd comfort and bless each and every person. Father, if there's one that does not know you as their own personal Savior, I pray, Father, that today they would put their faith and trust in you uh, and be saved. And Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.